Let's do it. Here we go, here we go. It's Bills Week. We got a Monday Night Football game on the docket. Patriots heading out there to Western New York. Always a fun trip. I wrote about that this week on The Athletic. You can always check that out. Uh, I actually enjoy this trip. I don't want to belabor the article. Hopefully you can just read it all in there. But I know some of the enthusiasm of this week's game has sapped out of this thing a bit because of uh, you know the way the Bills have struggled recently, really throughout this year. Uh, but I still think this is a, a very important game, and, and this is not meant to just sort of gin up excitement for something that isn't exciting. It's not so much that. It's just trying to sort of remember that it, regardless of how excited one is about a particular contest, like it was really easy to get excited about the Jacksonville game, right? It was really easy to get excited even about the Chiefs game. But invariably, well, especially as you watch where Jacksonville's gone since, since the Patriots played them back in September, that game's relatively of minor importance. Win, lose, or draw, it, it counts as one of 16. But this Bills game, which is easy to not be nearly as excited about, it's a division game. And unfortunately, the Patriots, because they have those two trip-ups early in the season, you don't want to be giving away division games. Um, I'm, I'm saying all this not to try to put fear in anyone out there who, who follows this team closely. I think this is a pretty big mismatch on Monday evening. Uh, but it, it still just should be appreciated for how important it is. And again, just how cool of a trip I think this actually is. You respect the group out there. Buffalo has really kind of got short-shifted, if, 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 uh, if we're being honest, relative to the team they've been given over the last several years. I know it's a passionate fan base. But, man, you look at, a, you look at an organization that squeaks into the, the playoffs a year ago. Good for them. They got in. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty uh, paltry showing there down in Jacksonville, though, and then they're bounced. But that happens, but you got a little momentum, right? You finally got over that hump. They got themselves back in the playoffs. And here's what now stares across from them um, with, with the Patriots looking back at them now this week. A team that had, oh, let's go down the list. They've had, uh, they've had Robert Woods. They've had Marquise Goodwin. They've had uh, Chris Hogan, who's obviously a big part of your team. Uh, they've had uh, a number of, of pretty good uh, uh, skill position guys come and go from that place and go on and have some success in other places. And as they head into this game this weekend, uh, well, we'll also mention the quarterback position before we get into who's going to be on the field this weekend. The quarterback position, they, they, they went and did the whole A.J. McCarron thing, which seemed to be sort of a, a salty, smart move. You know, hey, you're, you're drafting Josh Allen, probably the biggest risk quarterback out there. He seemed to be the, le- the least pro-ready. You know, played at a place in Wyoming that's pretty speculative because you're not playing at the same high-end competition. Throws it long and far. Throws it hard. Um, but the decision-making seemed to be a notch below some of the other guys. The refinement notch below some of the other guys. He was an upside pick, right? And that's often happens. And this isn't to knock Josh Allen. We're not, we're not talking about him uh, relative to the Patriots for this Monday night game. But he was a question mark. He was certainly not of the group of guys that were drafted high in that 2018 draft, the, the quarterback you'd think would be playing year one snaps, not many of them anyway. But because they go out and allow the Tyrod Taylor thing to, to move on, uh, they've freed themselves from that situation, which uh, in retrospect, you'd much rather have Tyrod than what they're dealing with now. Uh, but they've, they made that choice, but they're going to go out and spend on a veteran free agent. Probably a really, 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 really smart thing to do, considering Allen's who you're targeting there, right? Uh, they go and they go and get uh, AJ McCarron, who I, I don't know. I didn't watch the Bills preseason, so maybe Bills fans, the few that would hear this particular show, 
might say, no, it was the right move. He was he was dog shit in preseason or something or in camp, and they made the right move to move on. I don't know that. I just simply know when you make that kind of offseason investment, when you go get the what looked like the Marcus most market's most stable veteran sort of bridge guy, uh, a guy who had a lot of upside, a guy that didn't have opportunity because he was behind uh, Dalton there in, in Cincinnati, and hey man, he could he could do something be be average or even be slightly better than average as far as NFL starters over the course of a year to allow Josh Allen to grow. They bail on that thing and trade him to the Raiders in, in preseason, you know, or at the end of you know at the end of the camp thing or whatever. And to me, that was just such wild mismanagement for a team that, you know, you got to always consider the context. They've just come off a playoff game. They've just, you know, they've just finally gotten over that hump. And it was pretty fortunate to be there because it's not like they had a real stellar season. Just records fell the way they fell, and uh, they were able to get in. Uh, but those are the kind of situations where you want to take a little organizational momentum, run with this. Now you got a high draft pick, though. you got an opportunity to, uh, in what, appeared to be a deep crop quarterback, you're going to get your guy finally manage that situation to not take 10 steps back. And it, to me, it kind of feels like the Bills are sitting here or in a position that was really, really self-inflicted. To bail on the McCarran situation, uh, you know, pre-regular, you know, preseason, before the regular season gets here, uh, basically, you know, you, you've, you've given up on your own eval. And, and I think that's probably the worst part of it. Even if he did stink for a few weeks, if he didn't look like what you wanted to in camp, I think you have to ride that horse because you made such a big organizational decision that would hinge on that being your backstop. And, and when you pull that plug in, the only thing else you have there is Nathan Peterman. And, man, there's no bigger question mark out there at quarterback in the NFL than him. I mean, he had some really ugly first, you know, first – First at bats, I guess. Uh, but, you know, internally they may have felt better about Nathan Peterman, that there was more there, that he was worth riding out. And that's that's completely fair and maybe accurate, I don't know. But it, in those situations, that guy, though, that's that speculative, that's had that amount of failure early and is still that young and inexperienced, he's got to be a third guy. It, it has to be the kind of rationale that prompts you to hold someone as a third and really have that stable go-to guy in the other spot. You're Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Uh, as it were, you know, Ryan obviously had a had some success there in Buffalo as well. But this seems to be the one organization of the 32 that really needed a strong backup quarterback situation. And now you see them swing into um, uh, to Derek Anderson, uh, who was you know out of the league. And maybe Derek Anderson would have been the right move if they really felt like, hey, we've seen this guy be the the bridge and backup guy for years and years and years with other people. He played real stably behind uh, Cam Newton. They always felt good about that situation. Well. Then if that's who you pegged, if that's who you believed it was going to be, you make that McCarran trade, and I believe it was a fifth rounder to the Raiders, you basically get rid of him. You quit on it before you let it materialize, I guess. that the, the, My view, the Anderson trade needed, or the Anderson sign needed to happen that same afternoon. <laughs> you need to get the guy in there that you think can bridge it. It's just so much organizational risk to leave things hanging there. With Nathan Peterman, and then, you know, Allen thrown in maybe a little too early. It has had some early success, but earlier than I think most people presumed he'd be out there, and I think even internally when you'd read some of the, the offseason stuff with with the Bills, I, there was no internal pressure to throw this guy out there early as if it were, you know, Baker Mayfield or something like that. 
uh, or even Sam Darnold or some of these guys that were getting the, getting the call real, real early. It didn't seem like that situation that you're pushed in that situation. Then he's got an elbow thing and he's out. And it's just a jacked up offense right now. So maybe this little rant that I started today's show with is more relative to kind of feeling bad for a, a former coach and, and a guy that I like a lot, Brian Dable, who's the, AC, the OC there. Brian was obviously with us with the Patriots for years, and then he was also a coach on the Jet staff when I was there in New York. So, um, you know, obviously I follow his career quite a bit. He goes and heads over to Cleveland, had some nice reclamation stuff that he did over in Cleveland because he wasn't working with much there and still was able to pull out some tough ones, including the win against the Patriots. I believe that's in there somewhere. Uh, but, you know, did nice work in Miami and then goes down to Alabama. I don't know if I have my top, my sequence here correct, but he's been in Cleveland, been in Alabama, been in Miami. Uh, and, and really Miami was the first time of any of the scenarios Brian's been in where he was running the show offensively and he had a group of talent that's going to be as good or better than what he's facing each and every week. And, you know, he knocked out of the park, and, and the guy prior to him didn't. And, and I think that's in part why the, the vacancy was there and Dable hopped into it. Did a great job with that, and now he trans back, transitions back in the NFL. And you go to Buffalo, and I think at the time you're making that decision, it's, you know, it's a little up and I go. But as we mentioned before, think of all the talent that's gone in and out of that door that's done well other places, Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, um, you know, and Chris Hogan, the four receivers right there, uh, if those had, that would be a pretty strong and solid four. Uh, and, and you know, they can't, they've come and gone and, and not retained them, and instead you're left with Kelvin Benjamin, who's just been an okay at times because he's tall and can do sort of the go-get-it ball, but really ineffective for, for some of those early games. Just seemed to be no relationship there with him and uh, him and the quarterback in earlier there in September in Buffalo. And, you know, he, he's, he's capable of going over the top of someone and getting a, a touchdown or a big play up the middle of the field. But the refinement and the interior stuff, the, the separation on the – intermediate routes just hasn't been there and I think that's disappointing for a former first rounder that they went out and traded and you know, they went out and acquired so you know the Benjamin thing has been a miss and would you rather have Sammy Watkins or Rob Woods or those guys back for your sort of you know, your initial draft picks as opposed to Benjamin Zay Jones second rounder a couple years ago Zay's a nice young talent had that weird offseason thing where uh Career seemed to go sideways, but he uh, he got it back. And I don't know the whole full, full story there, but after the that crazy hotel situation, got his head back on straight and is back into football. And he's a pretty good young talent. But it, with Benjamin being not a a, 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 a a sort of slam dunk number one kind of guy, putting all the pressure on then having it be Zay Jones and Andre Holmes. I mean, like that that ends. You end up with a. Pretty suspect, speculative anyway, we'll say speculative rather than suspect. A group of wide receivers paired with a really questionable quarterback situation, uh, paired with a you know, near 30-year-old running back uh, in McCoy, who's been a, been a warrior. But, man, how many more times can you just give him that ball with all the other problems the offense is having? So now McCoy's banged up. We won't know until late here. And I'm obviously doing this show for you guys on a Sunday, so you'll have it today. listen all day Sunday excuse me, and then and heading into Monday as well. So, you know, the McCoy situation will, will flesh itself out. I think they were actually pretty smart uh, from, a, from a management standpoint of going out and getting Chris Ivory. I know he kind of went and disappeared a little bit when he was down in Jacksonville, but for those highlights uh, a week ago with, with the Colts game, you can still see Ivory's got it, you know. He can still – he has a surprising amount of burst and bounce out cutback ability, and he can still run over people. 
Um, you know, f- thinking back four plus years with with the the Jet situation, it was looking like he might be a top five back for you know, a month or two span that he had there. Uh, that momentum's clearly gone, but I think he's a very viable replacement. So we'll keep an eye on how things go with that today uh, with the Patriots against the Patriots. Not today, but uh, Monday evening. So you know, I think all told, though, you've got a pretty pretty weak offensive situation there in Buffalo. And, and granted, Coach McDermott is a more of a defensive-minded guy who came over from D.C., came over from Carolina. The defense seems to be in good sorts. I mean, it's been really the thing that's kept them alive. And they've got two nice wins on the docket, but uh, some other really ugly losses, uh, most of which obviously have accumulated recently. And I think the vast majority of those are at the management decisions of what's going to be the makeup of their offense. There's just a very little amount of high-end NFL talent there. Uh, and that's that sucks, you know. You had the opportunity, you had this little window, and it's just there doesn't seem to be a lot left. So Charles Clay still there, a good tight end, someone that uh, has, again, had injury situations more recently, and then once he was put back in the offense, just hasn't had the usage percentages that we've seen from a couple years ago. Um, so, again, they're not getting tight end production a lot out there. They're getting some uh, the wide receiver situation is is just a, a, a either really really young or more threes and fours, you know, having to play in the roles of ones and twos. And the quarterback situation is a mess. The Patriots are obviously going to see Derek Anderson this next time out, and the offensive line is still stable. But again, it's here's here's the kicker: all this all this lead up that I'm giving you guys in relation to what's going on with this Bills football team, first and foremost. I don't recall going back and doing studying for study for any of these 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 Patriots podcasts I've done over the last you know God knows how many years, or even just the shows Patriots this week that we do with Craft Sports Productions or my Ness and stuff. Basically, since I retired, I don't remember going back and and covering a Patriots game and having to sort of review what most recently an offense has done and seeing something as paltry as what Buffalo's put forth. And, and I always like to go back a month. I think a month is, is far enough unless, for some reason, those last four games have no schematic relation to what you're going to do. As long as there's a couple in there, two to three, there's no reason to go back further than four because if injuries may have changed or they just may have improved or, or not improved, whatever. But the last four with Buffalo is almost doesn't seem real. You, you had to almost like check it again. The Buffalo Bills over the last four weeks have averaged 7.5 points per game. The Buffalo Bills over the last month have scored seven points total in four first halves. They've been shut out in three first halves, and then they have a singular touchdown. Seven points in four first halves in a row. You just it, it, What that's telling you is that they're, they're behind the eight ball early and these games get over because they start so slowly. There's just not that much offense there. Uh, and that's got to be terrifying because it's going to be easy for me to, to try. Well, not easy, but I can do it. I can go this route and try to build up what Buffalo is going to do because the environment's awesome. I love it. I love that. I love the corniness of it. I love the college feel. I love the sea of blue and that Let's Go Buffalo song. So ridiculous, but it's corny and effective for them. Um, and it's, it's a wild place. It's a fun place when things are going well, but I got a sense that it's going to be tough to keep that energy and environment up there relative to what they'll have to be cheering for out there. An offense that just can't get it done at this level. That's, that's the 33rd offense in the NFL. I mean, I'm being sarcastic, but if you seven points a game over the course of four weeks, uh, only one touchdown 
Only seven points total in four halves. Now, why is that relevant? It's not to pile on them. It's not to, you know, I have no, obviously, no no horse in a race of whether or not the Bills turn it around or whether or not the Bills make good on years, last year's momentum and all that. I just like to, to review that stuff because it's kind of a head-scratcher to me. And McDermott seemed like a super solid coach. Uh, the GM situation seemed to be cleaned up a little bit there when he took over, and it was, you know, meeting the minds and organization cleaning house and all heading in the same direction and all that stuff. But where they sit today, opposite the Patriots, is a bit of a mess. Um, and why this matters? Well, because of when it is particularly the Patriots, not the Colts of a week ago or, you know, whoever else they've been chasing, maybe a Dolphins week or something like that. It's different when it's Tom Brady and that offense opposite you because it, you can't get down two scores. It's just you get down two scores, and it's not that you can't come back. We've seen this with the, actually both the Bills game and, uh, excuse me, or the Bears game and the week before that, the Chiefs. The Patriots get up quick, and uh, the, unfortunately the defense and, and, the, and the kickoff team, uh, kick return team, has given it back a little bit. The offense has had some turnovers a bit. We'll talk about that more relative to game keys here as we finish thing off, but there's an additional amount of stress on that Buffalo defense to try to, I mean, are they going to, is the ball, are you expecting for the bills to be competitive for the Buffalo defense to, to pitch a shutout against the Patriots in the first half or to keep the Patriots to a, a seven point half. I mean, that's just incomprehensible that that would be necessary to be competitive in the game. And I think that's why the spread has sat so high. It's, it's been between 13 and 14 points all week. I hate spreads that high on division games. I think generally, they're going to be tighter. You'll get your occasional blowout. You can look at the history, the back and forth between the Patriots and Bills. There certainly have been several games that have gone over that number, but you just don't like to gamble on the notion that it will be that. You tend to think the familiarity will draw themselves closer, but the disparity between these two teams pretty dramatic here, as dramatic as I remember in the last 10 or so, 10 years or so. I mean, it's just the, the Bills – can defend a little bit, but I think in part those numbers may be a bit inflated because of the the opponents. I think you look back at even just the Colts game a week ago, and that took some of the sting out of the Buffalo defense. It didn't. It wasn't just pressure from the offense not making conversions, but in fairness, there were three interceptions there by Derek Anderson. So there's a lot of pressure on that defense, but this is just not a, a situation that sets up very well for Buffalo. So all the real logistics and roster stuff and Things that are going on statistically that may or may not matter. How the Patriots are built. Maybe, maybe you know, some injury situations are going on. Anything that might possibly be a factor in this game. I say all that, and you can almost push the entire deck to the other side for the Patriots. And it's, that's rare when you can do that for almost every factor. Other than the place they're playing in. The place they're playing in is tough to play in. It can force some mistakes. And that kind of leads me into the one thing the Patriots are going to really, really need to clean up here in these three weeks heading into the bye. It's going to be critical on Monday night. I think it'll be critical against the Packers in Tennessee as you head into that bye. And what that is, is they got to clean up the sloppiness. And you look back, we look here, quick, quick peek at the Bears game. One of the best offensive drives of the entire 2018 season was that opening Bears drive. Bing, bang, boom. Right down the field. I mean, it was just surgical. And it was mostly run game and play action, shorter stuff off that off that run game. Just really, really good and swift stuff. It was tight. It was well executed. There were a few blown plays. It was just boom, boom, boom. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's what that offense looks like. If that thing is there and can be there for four quarters, 
in January, look out, you know, because that's sort of the maturation of where these guys can go. Offensive run schemes perfectly fitting the kind of lineman you have. Sony Michelle's running at a really high level. James is a perfect complement out of the backfield to get some runs and also catch some balls out of the backfield. Play action stuff to Gordon. Uh, Jules eating it up if people want to zag off on him. All this being done without Gronk. Holy shit, this could be really good, right? We're not even talking about Dorsett and Patterson. So that's where it could go. But it's stalled, in fairness. The Patriots get a nice stop the next thing defensively. You got the opportunity back with the ball for the Patriots. Go get that 14 and really just put this thing to bed early. And they didn't capitalize there. Now, they did work it up uh, to more of a deficit later in the game. But what made it close, very similar to the Kansas City game, uh, very similar to some of the other situations they were during the season where they've stumbled a little uncharacteristically, is the stumbles, the unnecessary issues, especially that hurt you even more so on the road, or at least put even more pressure on you on the road. Fumbling a kick return, it's not just that you fumble it, it's just it was a freak thing. You know, the, the guy that knocks the ball out of Cordell Patterson's hands was actually blocked up really well, and just a hand, his hand kind of pops out towards the tackle, sort of a, you know, I don't even know if you could say he was attempting the ball. He's just reaching out, trying to get close. And it freakishly knocks the thing out and pops right into the hands of the Bears player. I mean, that's just goofy stuff. But, again, you can prevent the goofy stuff by having a really great ball security, having it covered up, having it, you know, anywhere in near traffic, just, just cover that damn thing. Now, you know, Cordero Patterson probably says, oh, whatever, I, I returned a touchdown for a, you know, or I returned a kick return later for a touchdown. So even Steven. That's kind of not the point here, though. The point is more just finding this team's way towards more clean play, less bad football. So, you know, they, Brady ends up with a, with a, an interception on, on a pass to a fullback in the flat that almost had the opportunity to be intercepted twice. It looked like it should have been picked cleanly, slipped through amazingly, then bobbled, and then intercepted on the back end. Now, Brady's interception numbers are way inflated this year because there's several of those, maybe half of them, where it's a tip pass or something that uh, was in the hands of the receiver and they just, you know, uh, they, I'm thinking of the Hogan one where he just kind of like volleys it into the air and the other side catches it, Gronk's where he had it in his hands and then it flies out to the other side. And those aren't bad decisions. Brady's numbers are, you know, that's why stats are puking your mouth sometimes because it's not really telling the whole story. But last week was a week where just, oh, jeez, you know, they have an interception there on, a, on, a, on an easy one that you just was pretty avoidable. They have the kick return give over. And then uh, defensively, you have these, uh, there's about three, arguably four, absolute head-scratcher, worst pass rush containment uh, of, a, of a mobile quarterback that I think I've ever seen. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have been complaining about pass rush for years. This was different. This was new. Uh, this was almost jogging in. Trubisky was, you know, moving around the, the pocket, running out the backside of it. Uh, decisions, not just athleticism, but decisions where he'd, he'd scrambled right. Adrian Claiborne is flushing. He's doing a good job, but then he doesn't go to the upfield shoulder. He goes to the wrong shoulder. Trubisky's able to wind, wind out of that. Now Adam Butler comes free. Adam's got a chance, and I'm a huge Adam Butler fan. And he goes around the block, back door, and now it's wide open. So, And then Trubisky's just jogging down the field. So you take sort of those, like, mine, that was just the boneheaded stuff. There was some boneheaded pass rush from a group that when they put their best configuration out there and the group uh, coordinates well and, and does their job, 
they'll they'll pass rush just as well as they did against Andrew Luck, just as runs better than Trubisky, or at least as good as Trubisky, just as well as they did against Ryan Tannehill, who runs as well or better than Trubisky, as as well as the pass rush worked against Deshaun Watson. Those are non-issues in games there where they have better scrambling quarterbacks. So it wasn't they don't have the personnel to do this better. I think in a couple situations, this isn't to make excuses for them. It's just to say, hey, going forward, you can't get stuck in this spot or these guys aren't going to be able to help you. They had two ends on the field that were slightly more athletic, but then they got caught with, with Danny Shelton and maybe Malcolm Brown on the inside. They're two bigs. Those are not good third-down rushers. Those guys, they can't chase and pursue. They can't. They're in there to run stuff. You get into a down and distance on third down where they think they need to leave them on there, they're they're not going to do much. They don't get much pocket push, and they can't move edges, and they certainly can't chase down quarterbacks. So maybe get to a point where they just say, hey, we can never have those guys on the field if it's if passes is, is most likely. Uh I think that will help us, but that certainly doesn't tell the whole story. There was a couple other ones there that had nothing to do with that. So, again, that craziness there, the issues with the, the, the just giving one away on kick return, the bad interception, you, you pile up three or four of these things each week, and you do that time after time after time on the road. Uh, no matter how much better you are than the other team, you, you help them linger. You help them hang around. So that's something I'm going to be watching for. I think we all should be watching for over the course of the next three weeks. Can the Patriots just start to clean things up? Because this looks like a pretty strong roster. This looks like a roster that's got a lot of depth and, and variability in what they can do offensively. Uh, in a week where Rob Gronkowski has gone, you can still go ahead and hang it up and do what you need to do. And we're still, again in the midst of trying to figure out exactly what Josh Gordon can be in this offense. I would say other what, you know, the the big play that ends up being the the, the dearth of his yards a week ago. Um, that's you know that 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 ends up just being a four catch day though. So and the yard number's high, but basically because of that one huge play. I think, you know, when he starts chip, chipping away at five and six and seven catches of intermediate stuff, that's when you're where you want to go. And then tack on a big play. And next thing you know, you're to that next stratosphere where I think it could be with him. Julian's still just getting acclimated, man. He's he's being used a little, but I could still see his role jumping quite a bit. And, and Chris Hogan is always there to contribute. Uh, so you just really have to like how this thing's rounding out offensively, potentially, uh, in the passing game. But... Don't hinder yourself, right? Don't put too much pressure on the defense by having turnovers or either special teams turnovers or special teams kick coverage from the Kansas City game where they bring it all the way back to your 97 or 97 yards, bring it back to your three, uh, or red zone turnovers that that, that that put the defense backed up. It's it's a defense that's been inconsistent throughout the year. The last thing they need is to be handicapped. So clean play. Three weeks of clean play. doesn't have to be stellar play. But let's just uh, let's look closely to see if they can start cleaning up the uh, the ugliness that helped keep some of these inferior teams in the game. Let's go here to some of the particulars of this Bills game, and we'll we'll kind of plow through these pretty quickly. But because Derek Anderson doesn't have a long history now here with the Bills, got an extra week here under his belt to practice, an extra week to figure out what the heck they can do, and maybe maybe get themselves to a twenty point game. I mean, twenty would be a, a fine for these guys. But then you're obviously arguing or hoping that you can keep the Patriots' offense under 20. But as we mentioned, based on the last four weeks of work, even to get to 20, that's three-timing your, your most recent stretch. So they got a lot before them to, to manufacture something. But in doing so, looking back, it worked best for them. You don't want to get in a situation where Anderson's going hard on checkdowns because he'll go to it as a smart veteran quarterback i'd say generally i think the appeal in getting him here was his relationship with dable from when they were in cleveland together 
uh, from McDermott knowing him from his time in Carolina. It's just sort of a comfort level. Him and Kelvin Benjamin would presumably have had a, a relationship from, one, from from Carolina. Maybe leaning heavily on some of that stuff. Uh, something is found. But he was brought in to be the, hey, you'd guide the ship and make fewer mistakes and had a three-pick week. So that's a little off script, clearly. But checkdowns is going to be tackling. I, I say that because this has not been an explosive downfield offense with Derek just one week, but it, that wasn't a big part of what was going on, and they don't have a lot of those kind of players on their offensive side of the ball anyhow. So you've you got to tackle well against the checkdowns. And that's a boring-ass point. This is not going to make anyone you know, jump out of their seat and go, yeah, let's get that. But it, it's going to be a big part of the game. You don't want to get eaten alive on four- and five-yard passes that scramble and go for 13, or, you know, the, the, the run of the catch ends up making them 13 to 15 kind of things. So that's where he feeds. He looks downfield. He doesn't like the first couple reads. He's he's pretty quick to his check down. So it's going to be an important tackling week. Of course, Ivory's pretty good. He's not like I don't think people traditionally think of him as a pass catching back. But if he gets a quick check down or a draw, he does a good job of making the first guy miss. He's shiftier than you think. Um, and he's a cutback runner. And again, I'm I'm kind of sort of doing this knowing that McCoy. We don't know if McCoy is going to be cleared yet. And even if he is cleared, the guy coming off a head injury had the weird fall in that Colts game kind of rolled over the top and looked like neck and head kind of thing, and he's been in the head thing, the head program, excuse me. Um, I think we'll see Chris Ivory some one way or the other. But back, bounce out, cut back stuff with that guy, physical runner, got to rally tackle him, can't put people in a one-on-one situation with him over and over again. Charles Clay had the fumble a week ago. That obviously hurt them. Uh, but as you're looking down sort of where Anderson was looking, you know, you got one week of film on him to look hard at, he really, really, really keeps his attention to the center of the field. He really keeps most of his reads almost between the hashes. You know, I'll extend it, extend it out to him inside the numbers, but because he'll throw the seams pretty heavily with Kelvin Benjamin, they, they had a few connections a week ago. Uh, also, that some of the interceptions were targeting him in this area of the field as well. But really, I think the Patriots, if you're, if you're watching that film and saying, oh, at least this is what he did last week, this is what the few things that did work for them we can't, be beat here. It's it's defending inside out. It's forcing more throws where that that go outside the numbers. In other words, you're taking away inside leverage. You're not going to give away the easy throws. Think about it. Your your quarterback hasn't. You hadn't been in camp. You haven't had. You know. You're on the street. You're at home. You're, you're maybe thinking you may be retired. And somebody brings you back up. Oh, you're here. You've arrived. You're okay. I'm going to try to get up to speed and do my NFL thing here, and try to recapture some of the. The, the big-time competency I had when I was practicing and playing every day. Well, what's the easiest and quickest way to get there? Inside throws. If you're a quarterback, I mean, nobody's defending the middle of the field and forcing me to shift my focus outside and throw those further those further balls, so deeper comebacks and outs that are a little more dangerous. If you're going to give me stuff inside the hashes, that's, that's quicker, more direct routes, and they're easier reads. And he really seemed insistent on turning the ball that way in that Colts game. So I think that's something that will jump off the film for the Patriots defense that are watching. Uh, look for that inside leverage by the defensive backs and linebackers. Look for guys taking away the hard inside, hopefully not allowing those easy throws. And make the, make the old guy make the harder throws. I just think that's reasonable to do. Stop the run game first and foremost and take away the middle of the field. Um, and outside of that, there ain't a whole lot. And uh, he did sail one to Benjamin on one of those, I don't even know if they call it skinny post. It's almost like a seam. Between, that's between half and hash and numbers generally. Benjamin just kind of taking off up that area. And Anderson throwing a relatively high ball. The high ball worked for him a couple times with Benjamin. He goes up and gets it. But then there's other, those other situations. The one where he really just sailed one of those. And 
ends up uh, a good amount over and beyond him and gets to be ends up a pick. So when I look back at the Bills' defense, though, and some of the issues that now start to crep up and on a group that's, again, as we mentioned earlier, got a lot of pressure on them because the offense ain't doing a whole lot. Marlon Mack for the Colts had a day. He feasted. Checkdowns to him. So you see the Bills dropping off pretty dramatically in their little short zone coverage. Made me think as I'm watching, watching Marlon Mack plays, and he gets it in space and makes something happen. And I mean, it's the easiest thought sort of path in the world. Oh, that's James White. <laughs> James White. That that they're going to drop off that dramatically and then just try to d- come down and rally tackle to the Patriots. They're going to get killed doing that. Uh, you're going to get killed if, if they do that. So keep an eye on that. You're watching at home tomorrow evening, uh, Monday night, and uh, are the Bills linebackers and safeties or whoever's drawing coverage on James White, are they going to soft drop to an area eight yards beyond, you know, behind the line of scrimmage in the coverage area? Let James catch and then try to rally down to make two or three yard tackles. Man, that's tough. Give him that 10 yards of space. He often makes the first guy miss. Marlon Mack fed, and I think James is a better player. Marlon's an explosive dude. He's got some ability, but uh, obviously James is much more established. So the other thing that really, really fed well for the, uh, for, for the Colts was off-tackle plays. And this is running game stuff. And gets to be a little speculative here when I'm, I'm trying to say, hey, this is what the Colts did. Maybe the Patriots will go there as well. It's speculative for this reason. We all know that on Friday, which is really a actually, oh no, excuse me, on Saturday, which is like a Friday practice because of the Monday night game, Sony Michelle was technically out there. He was out there on the field, still listed as doubtful. Maybe by the time you're here in the show, depends on if you're listening to this as a pregame show late, late on Monday. But um, the active list will come out. He's doubtful. I, we're not expecting Sony Michelle. The one sort of question mark that's up in the air. And it would have to be decided, I believe, by 4 Eastern on Monday. I think that's the deadline. Uh, but Kenneth Farrell, the, uh, the the practice squad back that they have, making the decision of whether or not to bring him up, we'll learn that then. Um, and, man, I, I kind of have it in my head that uh, it, it kind of needs to happen. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, Barner is the other back, and he had some nice plays in that Bears game. He looks dependable. He looks like he can go out there, be ball secure, run where the play's supposed to, get a couple extra yards and some – some run after the catch stuff, make it a guy or two miss, but it's not overly dynamic, but it's pretty good, pretty solid. You're like, okay, nice job of filling in. That guy did his job today, and there's something there. Good that it'll hang on the roster. They're going to need it right now because they're so thin. But the idea of both James White, who means so much to your offense moving forward, and then Barner just being a one-two, either of those guys gets dinged in game, it would be a nightmare to have to go, say, well, say it's Barner. Say Barner gets tweaked. Say something happens with him. Do you want to be in a situation where it's just James White every single snap, and now you're risking his health? I don't know. I just I know that they did this, the Patriots themselves, against the Colts, where they only went with two active backs on a short week for a Thursday game at that time. But I'm looking at this now and going, man, get the third back up. Go ahead and do it. Just, just do. Um, maybe they won't. And, and, again, they're clearly not taking advice from me, and maybe I'm way off on this one. But I just think the risk assessment here is – ticking up a little too much if you put yourself out on the field with just a couple backs for the, the entirety of a game, especially if it's a, it's a division game you want to win. Say that one of your backs gets nicked and you got to go wire-to-wire with a guy who's either less experienced or in, in James' situation, not a guy who normally gets 20 carries. And all of a sudden the offense is really limited and, I don't know, bring the three. Let's, let's hope for that. I, that's, that's my vote, which counts for 0.0. Now, um, one of the things, one last sort of final thing to keep an eye on that uh, that did hurt 
uh, the Bills' defense was gadgets. And I, I bring that up, uh, gadgets, and uh, I'm, I'm sure I've used this phrase with you guys many many times in the past, but gadget parlance is basically the flip plays, the reverse plays, maybe you know reverse passes, the jet motion stuff where a fake comes off of it and then and heads into a screen of some sort, double screens, goofiness. You can just think of a gadget as something that's different, meant to be a misdirection, confuse you, do something different. Uh, the Colts ran a couple of those uh, that I noticed. It was like just gashed. It's like, oh, 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 there's nothing there. And I think that's – you see a few things like that on a previous week's tape. You look at your own personnel and go, well, that's what we do wonderfully. That's Corderell Patterson package. That's our, our former punt returner stud, Julian Edelman. He can get involved that way. That's James White in the screen game. Double screen, fake screen one way, back to that guy. That's tear passes, uh, tear screens uh, to the wide receivers, maybe to Josh Gordon getting him involved that way. Josh Gordon's seen a couple screens this year. Some work, some haven't. But um, I think that, uh, you know, it's just something for you to keep an eye on as you're watching this game and consuming and saying, I want to see the Patriots really put the put the foot on the throat. How do they most – what's the, the most direct line to that? Off-tackle running game, pullers out in space. The Colts really ate that way. Uh, the checkdown game was tremendous because the Bills drop off quite a bit and expect a rally tackle. That's a little bit like the old philosophy there in Carolina, but I just don't think the personnel's quite up to that snuff. But, you know, it's good. It's it, The Bills' defense has been pretty solid, but there were chinks in the armor a week ago against the Colts, and the Colts' offensive personnel isn't as good as the Patriots, and clearly neither is the quarterback. So look to those checkdowns, the, the space-running stuff for the backs, Look for the off-tackle run game, which if you get Gronk back, which sounds like you do, man, the two tight end stuff with him and Allen working together, moving people, maybe in concert with Trent Bowne on the left side, or Cannon who looks like he may be up on the right side. People movers, and you're hitting areas where the, the, the Bills have had a harder time uh, preventing bigger runs. And then back to the gadgets, something we know the Patriots do well. And I mentioned all those things, and that's not even getting into the regular, more typical passing game stuff with with Gordon, with Hogan, with Dorsett, which I'd like to see more of. He's had a quiet couple weeks, uh, and Edelman just going back to being the guy that he is and working the hell out of people on those option routes and crossing routes and, and, and jerks and option uh, and any kind of the, any kind of setup situation where he runs at a guy, jukes him, leaves a jock in the ground, and pulls himself open uh, up and beyond the stick. So really fun to watch that, and, and honestly, all that stuff that I just built up there has nothing to do with Rob Gronkowski, even as a target in the passing game. So if that comes back into play here as well, best of luck to Buffalo. But uh, I don't mean this to turn into a shit talk session. It's not. Uh, I just, these are sort of more the realities of where Buffalo sits right now. This would be as big a shock to me as any if they were to, if the Patriots were to stumble this week. It would take a lot of stumbling to bring themselves back to where Buffalo is right now. It's unfortunate. Um, hopefully Buffalo, I'm just saying for the sanctity of, uh, not sanctity is the wrong word, for the sake of the of the division, uh, they were on the cusp of something. They have made three, four, or five different tactical moves here that have left the cupboard relatively bare, and I think they're very vulnerable. Uh, looks like a big, a big safe Patriots win. But we'll keep an eye on it, and uh, as a special teams guy, I can't just cap this thing, not mention it, especially in a week where a punt was blocked for a touchdown and a kick return was brought back for a touchdown. A lot of great work for those guys. Rally work after a week before where they'd given up the 97-yard kick return. And actually, the kick coverage was really good early in that game uh, against the Bears. So you could tell that they had solved that issue. They they put a cap on that, obviously made it a point of emphasis, emphasis covered well early, 
unfortunately, as we, we already went through, the, the kick return fumble happened, but they bounced back from that really well, and that was exciting to see. It's good when there's a turnover on a kick return that they don't just start taking knees or just you know purposely trying to get kick return touchbacks. No, 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 no. They went aggressively back into it. We had an advantage here. We're going to we're going to step on the gas, and they did. I love that. Um, I sent a video out on Twitter that would be easier to explain than I could do orally here on a podcast, but the punt return block happened in part because uh, you know, one, the guard for the Bears tripped the tackle. He stepped underneath him. The tackle is attempting to brace himself for, Don, uh, for Dante Hightower about to run over him, and you know, just going to press him, which happens on any punt rush, and because he gets tripped, he falls straight to his back. Hightower goes right through him. Uh, like a wet sheet, and then next thing you know, he's b- blocking the punt, eating it up, Van Noy's got it, and they score. So just a huge week, special teams-wise, for the Patriots, and that trend needs to keep going. Do they need those extra yards? Maybe not so much this week. Do you need to prevent the giveaway of them? Yeah. Do you, in other words, play mistake-free there. No holding penalties to bring things back and back up the offense against a pretty good Bills defense in their own place. Uh, no fumbles, clearly, or putting the ball on the ground. There was the muff last week by Julian Edelman on the punt return, hits himself in the mask or whatever, takes his eye off it for a second, but at least alertly gets on that thing. Uh, but that was a tragedy averted as well. So just looking for a positive week. Got to be a positive factor there in the special teams game, especially on the road. That's tough. you got to be good in the ball security area and field flipping portion when you're on the road in a rough and tough place. Put your offense and defense in good situations. That's their job. That was the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Enjoy that Monday night football. It's been a stretch of late nights for Patriots fans here in the last couple weeks. You had ALCS stuff late and then the World Series stuff late for for a number of nights. And now you're getting night football on a Monday evening. And what the hell? When do we get to go to bed? I guess we'll sleep in February when this is all done. Thanks, as always, for checking out the show. Enjoy that game. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.